We're in the book of 1 Samuel in a series looking at the life of David. And we have seen that God has anointed a shepherd boy who in his small stature but his love for the name and the person of God as the rightful king over Israel has stood up to Goliath. And this morning, he is now assigned a place in the current king of Israel, King Saul's household. And he is still fighting, but he is also playing a lute or a stringed instrument for Saul's peace of mind. And so he will go out to do battle, and then he'll come back into the courts, and he will sing. Perhaps many of the psalms that David authored in the book of Psalms were composed at this time. But David is observed by Saul this morning with a jealous and envious eye. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Now, let me say two things. I very, very rarely, I cannot recall the last time that I spoke about jealousy or envy. Nobody approaches me. The shepherds don't approach me and say, Pastor Phil, we're way overdue. You know, envy is one of those seven deadly sins. We haven't heard a a rousing sermon on envy in a long time. In counseling, I have not had a man or woman come to me and say, I know what my struggle is. Envy! I cannot stop comparing myself to this person. I cannot stop this bitterness of heart that's growing like bile in my stomach every time I see him or her and what they have. never comes up. But the Scriptures say, and I hope to show you, that one of the gravest, if not the gravest, sin is jealousy and envy. That's my second caveat. My second caveat is some of you are literal purists, and I love you. I love I love literal uh, purism. But you're going to be saying, all right, now which one is it? Is it jealousy or is it envy? You know the two are different. Well, they're slightly different, but I'm going to use them this morning's message. I'm going to use them as synonyms. To be pure and succinct, jealousy is most often defined as a fear of losing something, like the fear of losing someone's affection, or you're jealous because you're afraid of losing a possession. Whereas envy can be defined, more often as not, as a fear of lacking something. You're troubled and you're upset at heart because of a void. There's something in your life that you don't have that another person has. I lack it. Jealousy has it and struggles to keep it and is afraid of losing it. Envy doesn't have it and it wants it. This morning, 
I want you to see the progress that we, in our envy, and yes, we do, it's a huge struggle in our life. But the envy that is there will systematically move you to a emotion, to it'll move you to a place of sadness when others are moving to a place of gladness. It becomes a situation where you measure your sadness even by another person's gladness. Or you measure your have-not by their have. And it divides us in our community, even the church. Where I began to have a relationship with someone, Saul and David, or they, they've got an emerging relationship. But as Saul, as we will see, as Saul begins to observe David, as he begins to hear songs of praises, as he sees his success, and he feels the threat of the loss of his own kingdom to this one, it moves him from a relationship of loving envy, I mean, loving, a loving relationship, loving affection and intimacy, to one of envy and malice and anger, alienation, separation the people in your life that you envy you will have no loving relationship with as long as envy and jealousy is present 1 Corinthians 13 says charity or love envieth not love doesn't envy and I would say the contra is true as well if you envy when we envy we cannot love I want to show you three things. I want to show you, first of all, the symptoms of envy. And then I want to show you the cancer of envy. And then I want to finally offer to you, as we draw near to this table, I want to offer to you the antidote for the cancer of the sin of envy. But first of all, what does envy look like? If you Google envy you're going to get an image of, you're going to get these green images and these green figures. But it's attributed, originally, it's attributed and it's called a, a symptom of envy, as it's called a green-eyed monster. And that phrase comes from Shakespeare, where Iago tells his lord, Othello, he tells him, Oh, beware, my lord, of jealousy. It is the green-eyed monster which doth mock the meat it feed on. In other words, the very thing that you love and you prize, you begin to mock it out of your envy or out of your jealousy. The very thing that you want to be, the very thing that you lift up as a value or as a prize by your envy, you mock it and it begins to mock you. It's no real love relationship. It's an envious relationship. And that one is not dual serving, but totally self-serving. There's three things, at least, that I see in the scriptures here that are symptoms of envy. 
And the first one is, is that it compares verbal praises. You look into verse 6. So David has come now, he is going uh, to do battle back and forth with the Philistines. He has slain Goliath. And it says that in verse 7, the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now this is certainly an exaggeration. We don't know at this point if David has even slain but one Philistine, and that being Goliath. But imagine what is taking place here at a, at a basketball game where you have in the stands on the, the home team is there and they're cheering and they've divided the stands so that half of the fans begin to chant and then the other half of the stand responds. And they say, we have Saul, yes we do. And then the other side goes, yes, but we have David times two. And they begin to go back and forth. We're with Saul, we're with David, oh we love them both. But Saul hears this and it says that when he heard this in verse 8, that he was very angry and this saying displeased him. Envy starts with comparisons. It starts with those, those verbal praises. Have you, would you think for a moment how much advertising, marketing, and political campaigns have to do with envy? We love our man. He is the tops. He is the best. And only the brightest and the most brilliant people will vote and follow him or her. Or if you have this car, or if you live in this neighborhood, or if you have these new shoes, if you, if you have, if you do, if you go have this kind of nightlife, then you'll be happy. And look, these people have it. Why shouldn't you have it? It begins with a comparison. Envy doesn't stop there because we see that after he begins to compare himself, and he's like, David's got 10,000, I've only got 1,000? And this begins to plant a seed with him, the comparisons. He watches with desire. Envy, number two, watches with desire, if we're going through the anatomy. Verse 9, Saul eyed David from that day on he's begrudging him he's calculating he's eyeing David such that he sees David and he says he's got this and this and this and this and I don't have this and this and this and this look how young he is and I'm not young anymore look how strong he is and I'm not strong anymore look how he goes out and comes back and I'm stuck here at the, the castle he's watching him and he's watching every move he makes and it is growing like bile within him. Think about it. He's rehearsing it in his mind, in his calculations. He's eyeing him. He's watching him, and he's keeping score, and he's begrudging it against him. He's saying, he doesn't deserve it, and I do. Do you begrudge anything to anyone? Do you keep score she didn't deserve that promotion 
She didn't deserve that accolade. I deserve that. Do you watch for that? Do you listen for that? Are you calculating that? When we do that, we're not able to follow the command given to us to love one another that is imaged and portrayed when we rejoice with those that rejoice and we weep with those that weep. There's no rejoicing for Saul over David's victories. There's no weeping with David. You must be, you're a long way from your father Jesse and your screwed up dysfunctional family and your brothers. But I want to make this, I will treat you like my very own son. There's none of that. Because it leads to the third symptom of envy, raving resentment. There's a very odd verse here in verse 10 where it says, the next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house. Raving resentment. So he's comparing his lot. Saul is comparing his lot with David. Envy is born. He then watches and he sees everything as a reason to be envious. Envy is stoked. And now it has grown and it has grown to a point that he is seething and filled with resentment. It's not only, he shouldn't have that, he doesn't deserve that, I should have that, I deserve that, I'm the, I'm the one that, that is the king, I deserve all those accolades, I deserve the victories, I de- deserve the praise and the, the endorsements, I deserve all of that. It doesn't just stay there. It goes to a point where he begins to even, I, believe, I see with raving, I think about madmen raving, I think he's mumbling under his breath. They don't deserve that. He doesn't deserve that. And I I think he's like wishing at this point that David was removed or fired or dismissed or dissed or dead. He really resents him. Now what about this harmful spirit sent from the Lord? The best way to explain this, because it does need to be addressed or your mind is going to stay right here and I, I won't be able to go forward to the second point. But the best way to see this is that God is the most equitable, fair judge and dispenser of gifts of anybody. God is fair. So we can't say that God unfairly, here is poor Saul, and he's just listening to the lute, and God says, let's mess him up. Let's send a harmful spirit. Same thing with Judas. Judas is just one of these nice little disciples around the campfire, but we've got to have somebody to betray Jesus, so send Satan into him. Peter, you don't have much of a choice. You're going to deny me because Satan has asked for you. I gave him to you. You don't have a choice. Bingo. No. If you go back to Genesis chapter 4, in verse 7, we have the illustration of the first jealousy or envy in the Bible. The first recorded instance of jealousy or envy in the Bible. Cain looks at Abel's sacrifice that is received from the Lord. A blood sacrifice is received when all he offered was a bunch of bananas. 
And God comes to Cain and he says, I see your heart. Sin is crouching at your door. I love that imagery. It's like sin is a predator, an animal, a dangerous animal. Cain, I'm your God. I'm your creator. I want you to be aware that sin is a predator crouching at your door. Do not continue to go in this direction. All right? Because if he continues to go in that direction, what happens? God will let him. One of the passages of Scripture that was used in my becoming a Christian is in Romans chapter 1 where we read about God's wrath. In Romans chapter 1, we read in verse 18 that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. In other words, we know the truth. I knew the truth. I would tell you there was no God in heaven, that Jesus Christ was a charlatan, and that I didn't want anything to do with this strange thing called the Holy, Holy Spirit because I believe that it came into people, it possessed them, it made them clones at best, and it made them maniac, flaming evangelists at worst. But I believed in God. I didn't deny that. I couldn't. I couldn't. I didn't want anything to do with him, but I knew the truth. And I just tried to keep it down, tried to keep it down. Verse 24 of Romans 1. Therefore, and this therefore, preceding the therefore, is we continued to go in that direction without God. We chose to not, we chose to not worship him. We chose to worship ourselves and other idols and other selfish desires. And then therefore, in verse 24, God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity. It's the same terminology used back in 1 Samuel chapter 18 where it says the next day a harmful spirit from God came. It meant that God will give you, if you persist, he will give you the rewards for your sin. If we continue to harbor envy, then he will pay us with envy. If you continue to harbor lust, he will, he will give you lust. He's going to give you more. He didn't come to Pharaoh's heart. Again, this same thing of a, of a harmful spirit. God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. He didn't come and say, Pharaoh, you're a pretty nice guy, but I'm sorry. Boop. What he did was he said, you've got a hard heart. I'm now going to remove, I'm going to step back because you're so persistent. I'm going to step back and you're going to continue to get hard. That's what God is doing here. Saul now has seen the birth of envy and because he continues to feed that envy, he continues to grow more and more resentful. It grows. One of the worst, one of the most frightening passages of Scripture is Proverbs 27, verse 4. Wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? 
You see the progression there? Let me uh, give you an, another one. Let's, let me show you the cancer of envy. The cancer of envy. The first thing about the cancer of envy is that it steals pleasure of people. And I've mentioned this already, but it steals pleasure in people. I'm not able to weep with those who weep or rejoice with those who rejoice. It's more like the the German uh, feature of psychology, the the Sadenfreuden, where it says that I actually rejoice when someone who is successful or someone does have something that I feel they don't deserve fall down. Some of the most not attractive We're drawn to those news stories in the news cycle of where someone famous or someone powerful, all of a sudden, they fall. We don't take pleasure in people such that we could actually celebrate and rejoice even though I still don't have what they have. Another symptom or another evidence of the cancer of envy is that there's a growing uncontrollable malice a growing uncontrollable malice i i mentioned this in this week's uh, e-news from the pastor's note galatians 5 galatians 5 verse 20 in galatians 5 paul lists the category he lists the sins of the flesh he said there is in our flesh there is in our life there are, there are these sins, and he says there, these sins are sins that will trip you up and keep you out. And he uses two categories. And he talks about what we frequently think about the sins of the flesh, such as sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. But then he has a second category. And that second category is enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. These are all in that emotional, the internal realm. Not so much the physical body in sexual expression, but internally, in the heart, in the mind, the envy. But notice that it doesn't stop there. When Saul was listening and observing and resenting, what did he have in his hand? He had a spear. And twice he released that spear in order to try to take David out. So it grows. It's this growing. It doesn't stay with just a harmless comparison. Now we're in the West and we're a nice cultured people so we don't walk around with spears in our hand. We walk around with spears, as James would say, in our tongue. And we would take people out with rumor, innuendo, gossip, criticism, malice. And then lastly, the cancer of envy is hidden deep inside. It's hidden. That's why, that's one of the things that makes it particularly difficult. We begin the practice of comparisons and then it blossoms into envy and jealousy of others and it begins to alienate us in our relationships and we begin to treat them uh, with malice and dissension and division and we see them as rivals and we want them to, to come down and the whole time 
we seem to be unaware that it's sin. We think it's just a headache. But don't you know that that's the way all brain tumors start? We think it's just a small thing. It's just a small little bitterness that I'm struggling with. But it grows. It begins to grow. Ecclesiastes, make a note of this. I, I found this late in the week, or I would have had this for a slide, and I've been chewing on this one for the last couple of days. Ecclesiastes, wisest man in the world, inspired by God, writes these words in Ecclesiastes 4, 4. And I saw that all labor and achievement spring from man's envy of his neighbor. Let me repeat that. And I saw that all labor and achievement spring from man's envy of his neighbor. So what he's saying here is that he has come to a point where he's determined that everything that we do Everything that we do can be seen as, a, as at its root out of envy. Labor and achievement is fueled by a desire after ambition, possessions, even relationships. Envy is behind that. You see how you're, you're saying, I don't, I don't even see it in my life. If you don't see it, if I can just urge, urge you to begin to look, just take it as a preacher's craziness, it's there. And if you don't even see it, say, I mean, this, I, you know what, we should have we gone out to brunch because this sermon has nothing to do with me. I don't struggle with envy at all. Well, if you're not struggling, you're probably already overcome. It's there. It's there. But where is it? Well, what's the antidote? The antidote is also found in 1 Samuel chapter 18. But it's rather subtle. Saul, in verse 17, reneges on a promise. You remember that there was a, another another saying or chant going on in the camp prior to Goliath being slain. And it was this, if any man will be the king's representative, if any man will represent all of Israel on the field of battle, if any man will stand up against this terrible giant who promises our death, Goliath, then he will be rewarded. The king will give his daughter's hand in marriage. The king will give him a seat on the royal dais as a prince of Israel. The king will elevate him to this position that he now deserves. But David didn't get what he deserved. Saul gives the promise of his hand, the hand in marriage of his daughter Merib to another Shouldn't David then be envious? He doesn't deserve that. I deserve that hand. That's not his right. I fought the battle. I deserve that. That is my right. But David doesn't. David 
in verse 18 says, Who am I? Who are my relatives? My father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king. David takes a very humble position based on his identity, his birth. And he said, I'm the son of Jesse. I don't treat myself like the royal anointed king. I always treat myself as the shepherd boy. I always see myself as the shepherd boy. Every day and whatever the day brings, I greet with joy and happiness. I don't see others with an envious eye such that their goods are what I need to make me happy. But he was very clear in his identity. David points to another. David points to the true David of Jesus Christ. Pilate standing before the Jews on the day that Christ was to be crucified in Mark 15 asked them a question. He said, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? You have a king. This man appears to be the rightful king over Israel. This man has put himself forward as your king. Do you want me to release him to you now? He perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. The chief priest looked to Jesus and they said, the crowds are going after him. The chief priest listened to Jesus talk about the way to God and they said, it's not only winsome, but it's true. It fits. He's the promised Messiah. But the chief priest looked at him and they said, if people go after Jesus, they won't come after us. Our kingdom is going to end if his kingdom comes. And out of envy, they killed him. Jesus Christ, his death on our behalf is seen at this table. And this table promises the antidote and the cure for our petty jealousies and envies and large. Jesus, like David, did not come to envy Saul and the things that he had and his possessions, though he had a right to them. Jesus looks at you and he says, though you don't deserve pardon and mercy and the promise of heaven and eternal life with God, I don't begrudge you. I don't look at you and say, you don't deserve that. Jesus is the non-envious one. He looks at us and he says, you don't deserve it. But I am glad that you're enriched by me. I am glad that you who deserve wrath are now receiving pardon. And out of that gladness and that non-envious state, as I begin to see that, how can I envy anyone? What do you have that is richer or more dear to me than that? I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve or warrant anything. But God has given even Christ to us who doesn't begrudge us, and now I can look out of that, the gospel, without envying or being jealous or begrudging others.
I want you to see that at this table as you come forward this morning. It's just a bit of bread and a bit of wine, but it speaks volumes. It's Jesus Christ saying, whatever your heart's longing after, I am greater. Whatever, whatever your heart is hungry for, and you feel that it will make you happy, will not be found by looking to others. And then looking to me as if I'm unfair, and you've got to go after those things. What your heart is hungry for is more of me. And I will feed you from the very bread of heaven until you want no more. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you set aside this table for your holy purposes. If you would come this morning and if you would feed my envious heart with Jesus Christ who did not envy, whose only jealousy was after me and my affections, if you would feed my heart with that, then it will not only give me pardon, but it will give me power to walk in humility toward others and in freedom and relationship even as we walk before you. And this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.